Did you know that you could use AP Automation as an entry point to offering client accounting services? A successful transformation from clunky manual processes to automated processes can lead to your clients wanting even more of the services your firm can provide. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Bill.com, later in the episode. So what the bill does is it expands the eligibility for um, small businesses, meaning those that are under 500 employees, um, to receive loans under the Small Business Act. And um, these loans are specifically targeted for folks who are affected by the virus, and they can be used for payroll. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClockShark. Way back in October of 2013, I became ClockShark's very first Twitter follower. Today, ClockShark has grown into a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing, locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, the ClockShark team has built a robust mobile time tracking app to handle the unique challenges that face your clients who have mobile workforces. By using ClockShark, you and your clients will be confident that their time tracking data is correct and perfectly synced with their QuickBooks or ADP, allowing payroll to be on time and accurate. While other time tracking apps are charging as much as $8 or more per month per employee, ClockShark offers ClockShark Standard Plan for just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ClockShark. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-A-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll that's the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They handle all the complicated stuff like agricultural payrolls, Form 943, multi-state, and H-2A visas. OnPay even makes it easy to switch from other payroll services by doing all the data entry for each client that you set up. Right now, Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get three free months of OnPay payroll service. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I'm Kelly Phillips-Serb. Kelly, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Almost a year ago, I tried to have you join the podcast, and I think you had to take kids to a hockey game or, you know, childcare to, to compress it in. And so, probably, yeah, probably hockey. So last week, all this tax change and deadlines and all these things kept coming out. And I was like, oh, I should get Kelly on again. And then you responded to me this time. You're like, I'm not doing anything now. (laughs) (laughs) Kids are just at home. So uh, for those of you who don't know who Kelly is, Kelly Phillips Herb, she is tax girl on Twitter. Kelly is a columnist. So she writes for Forbes and she writes for Bloomberg Tax. Um, And to some extent, I feel like she's been with all the rumors that were happening last week, she was the one constantly tweeting on top of things and saying, this is just a rumor. This hasn't been finalized yet from the tech situation. And Blake and I are sending articles to each other. And I almost feel like I'm running around with my head cut off like a chicken. And so there's just been like a week of announcements or hopeful announcements with deadlines and tax refunds. And so we're bringing Kelly on to hopefully straighten Blake and I out on where those things are at. Uh, before we jump into that though, Blake, how's it going? It's it's okay. I apparently left Los Angeles at exactly the right time because they just shut down the city. Uh, and I'm, I'm in quarantine now in Phoenix, going to ride this out from here. So I'm in uh, my parents' condo and they're helping to take care of Thomas, our five-year-old son. <laughs> and my wife and I both work. So this is the only way we can make it work. One of us would have had to quit our jobs otherwise. So, yeah. Um, I, that's been my struggle this week. 
with the kids around. It's super hard. It's, it's super, really hard. Super hard. And I, I've got some stories about, you know, like working remotely with kids. So maybe we can help offer a little bit of advice or maybe, yeah, Kelly, what are you doing to get through this? Uh, well, my poor kids, I've, I've been working um, and from home a lot, like my, my whole career. Um, it was actually one of the reasons that I set up my practice the way that I did, because I'm a tax attorney as well. And um, my kids, have, you know, they've been at the office yesterday. My uh, daughter was watching the White House briefing with me. Um, so they, I mean, this is just something, honestly, they know more than a lot of people in Congress right now. Like they, they've been paying attention <laughs> and, and that's, that's how I keep them occupied. I uh, regale them with tax stories. That is great. The, the apple does not fall far from the tree, as you said in your tweet. Yes. <laughs> we should have them join the podcast and clarify. Oh, I don't know want that. They have some very strong opinions. We could do a kids edition for all the accountants to um, have their kids listen to when they have to do calls. Well, nothing for nothing. It actually, yeah. what might be a really cool um, future piece is I did have a discussion. I know it's off topic from tax, but um, I did have a discussion with my daughter yesterday because in the midst of all this financial news, she did look at me and said, Mom, do we have money? Are we going to be okay? And yeah. I do think that's something that a lot of kids are really anxious about right now. Well, uh, one thing that a lot of accountants were anxious about was the tax deadline. Uh, yeah. So maybe you can fill us in on what has happened in this crazy week when it comes to the filing deadlines, the payment deadlines, maybe walk us through the timeline because a lot has changed really quickly. I think as of last Friday, nothing was, I don't even know if some if the extensions were announced then. It was just lots of rumors at that point, even as of last Friday when we recorded. Right. So, so what happened was in terms of kind of how the rumors started, different offices were making decisions about keeping people home. It alarmed a lot of tax professionals who were worried that they were not going to be able to have face-to-face contact with their clients. And while it's true that a lot of folks can work remotely, um, sometimes you do have to get signatures and and other things that maybe can't be done remotely, um, especially for certain clients who are technologically a little challenged. So there were some conversations that were had. The AICPA, for example, was having intense conversations with the service about moving the deadline. And I think what happened is a lot of people who were involved in some of those high-level conversations decided that it was a done deal. And they announced it to various folks. I did get an email from, and I'm not going to name it, but from um, a a fairly large tax and accounting firm that very confidently announced that there was a deadline shift to October. I also saw uh, colleagues of mine suggesting that the deadline had been moved to July. And again, this was all last week before anything was final. And then sort of what happened from there is that the White House has been holding uh, regular briefings about the um, the COVID crisis and, and what's been happening. And in one of those briefings, and um, I, I wrote about it, I actually saw it when it happened. And I think this is what kind of contributed to the confusion. Before the, you talk about the briefing for a moment, sure. didn't the AICPA late last, late last week like put out recommendations as well on what they yes. thought deadlines should be? Yes. And there have been a number of groups that have done that. It's not just the, I mean, the AICP obviously has been very on top of this, but there have been also a number of other groups that have said to the service, we need to change these deadlines, especially as the states were changing them. You know, last week, California 
extended. There have been a number of states. I have a I have a list of those as well. But some states were extending deadlines, and the reason that this all mattered um, for those of us who are in the profession is because you know Monday was the deadline for a lot of small business and business tax returns. So a lot of tax professionals were hopeful that there was going to be an announcement before Monday, March 16, that uh, the, the deadline was being moved for corporate and individual returns. Um, and that didn't happen. But I think that was kind of what was fueling the sense of urgency was that they wanted to get that announcement out before March 16. And of course, that didn't happen. And so what did happen is that president had a briefing where he um, had Mnuchin, Secretary Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin on the White House briefing. And he announced during the briefing that the payments would be delayed. And what he actually said was that they were going to accept deferred payments and waive penalties and interest. Um, he did not say that the deadlines would be extended. In fact, he very clearly said that if you needed an extension, you could apply for one. Well, not everybody watched the briefing, obviously, and um, you know how folks hear sound bites. And so then the headlines started flying that the uh, tax deadline had been extended. I think some of that was an honest mistake. I think some of it was folks saying that tech tax deadline meant payment. And then there's been a lot of discussion you've probably seen on Twitter about whether or not, you know, there's really any, would have been any impact on taxpayers to not file a timely extension if they didn't owe. So there's a lot of confusion that came out of that announcement. And the IRS was very, very slow to issue guidance. A lot of folks felt that maybe the reason for that was because they were blindsided, that they didn't expect that announcement. I don't know what happened. None of us were in that room. But um, I do know that the IRS guidance did not come out immediately. The IRS has issued um, guidance twice now in response to it, in response to that conversation. And on, I believe it was the 18th and the 19th, they issued guidance clarifying that payment deadlines had been extended, but filing deadlines had not. Um, many of us were actually writing about that this morning when um, the notification came over Twitter from the uh, Treasury Secretary that the filing deadline has also been pushed to July. That is not yet confirmed on the IRS website, although again, it's from the Secretary of the Treasury, so I think we can rely on it. But if you check the IRS website as of Friday morning, it does not say that the, the filing deadline has been moved. Um, so I think we're all kind of sitting waiting for guidance. Further complicating things, the Senate introduced a bill yesterday that would uh, extend the filing deadline and would also extend the time to make estimated payments through October. So um, again, a lot of dates being thrown around, a lot of information being thrown at taxpayers who, you know, are maybe in a position where they're not meeting with their professionals regularly right now um, because of the crisis. So it's, it's a really confusing time for a lot of folks. So, but we definitely know now that the tax, the individual tax deadline is now uh, July 15th. Do I have that right? Yes. yes. Okay. And, and so that's filing and payment. But estimated payments for like the second estimated payment, all that, still everything's still the same other than that change. 
Well, yeah, well, there's a lot of confusion, as you probably know, over that, yeah. too, because the um, the guidance from the service specifically says that the estimated payments, the, the waivers for the penalty and interest on the estimated payments are those due on, and they actually use that language, due on April 15, um, and they're not due now until July. Well, of course, June happens to be the fluky date in the um, estimated payment scheme where you make one on April 15 and then you make another one two months later. Um, so that's confusing for folks because they're trying to figure out, does that mean that um, the estimated payments, the second estimated payment is actually due before the first? And I think the way it sits right now, the answer is yes. Um, to that, and that there were some folks tweeting. Um, I actually thought it was pretty funny. They said that the, um, you know, the IRS made it as easy as two one three, um, because now of course the, <laughs> the estimate payments are out of order. Um, if the Senate bill gets pe- pushed through, or if the IRS issues guidance, I expect that we're going to see that resolved because that is something that a lot of people are confused about right now. And it just realistically doesn't make sense that, if, especially now that the filing deadline has been moved, why would you move filing and payment deadlines to July, but still expect people to pay estimateds in June? It's it's just not you know logical. Kelly, have you been keeping up with the whole, hey, the IRS is going to cut checks, they're going to be sending people money, like all of that kind of stack of news that keeps seeming to change as well. Like, is the IRS capable? Are are they staffed to do this? Are they going to be shut down because of the virus? Like, how are they going to print and mail these checks? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, that's like another like week of podcasts, right, for me to rant about (laughs) IRS funding. Um, But it is remarkable to me that Congress uh, is so dismissive of the money that they send to IRS, and yet they keep giving them more jobs to do. The way that this the bill is set up right now, and again, this is proposal, this isn't um, fixed. I do think we're going to see some kind of check. It's just a matter of how it's going to happen. Um, and right now, the way it's written is it would be tied to returns, uh, to tax returns. Um, so that does signal, I think, that the IRS would be in charge of cutting those checks. Are they staffed for it? I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've seen as well as me, folks complaining nonstop. I mean, I have... And I'm not kidding, phone calls from um, the lean department that haven't been returned since July of last year. So um, with that kind of lack of response time, I don't see how we're going to have, you know, services. And and the reason I kind of hedge a little bit is because the Senate wants this. Some people in the Senate want this to be a priority. And um, the, the president wants this to be a priority because money in hand is good for people, for the economy is kind of the theory, right? So, but I don't see the IRS going and hiring a whole lot of folks to uh, make this happen. So what I fear is going to happen is that I think these checks will go out from the service. I think they will be a priority, but I think what that means is that other taxpayer related services will get pushed back. Well, and what about the coronavirus situation at those IRS offices, as David said, We talked last week about how the union representing IRS workers is complaining that the IRS management isn't taking enough precautions for their employees. And many of those workers at the IRS are, I think, almost 40 40 to 50 percent are not that far away from retirement. It's kind of an aging workforce there because they haven't been hiring in recent years. So their current staff has just been not really turning over. Right. So- what is going to happen if, the, if these people are the ones keeping, you know, continuing to work and there is a COVID-19 outbreak in those IRS offices? Are they just going to keep working? Are they going to go home? I, I, maybe you have some insight into this, Kelly, but I doubt they have the systems to work remotely. 
Um, well, I know that some of them do work remotely, but mm-hmm. typically those are things like, you know, revenue officers, like folks who are making calls and doing case management. And I think that that's something that is more easily done from home. Um, when you're talking about taxpayer checks, notwithstanding the um, the physical piece, which is that not everybody has direct deposit, um, I think there's some real security issues that you have to worry about when you have remote um, workers at that point, because, you know, h- how does who has access to the system, who has access to, um, you know, account numbers and who has the the amounts of the checks, even though I know people have been talking about them being floated as flat checks. If you read the Senate proposal, it's not flat. It actually is going to depend on how much money you make and how many kids you have and your filing status. All of those kinds of things would be tied to tax returns. Um, You also have to have a valid social security number or adoption uh, taxpayer identification number. So again, those are things that are going to have to be cross-checked on systems. Um, I don't see that being an efficient system that's going to be done from home. So I agree. I think that there's going to be a lot of challenges in terms of staffing and worker retention, because that's another issue when you talk about when you were mentioning the the numbers of folks who were coming up for retirement age, let's assume that um, f- those folks stay in the job and they don't get sick. What kind of signal is this sending out to future workers about the way that they value treasury workers and, and IRS workers? So I, I do think that they have to be careful if we decide they're essential and accountants and attorneys are not, um, which is what in some states seems to be the case. Um, in Pennsylvania, where I am right now, for example, um, attorneys were dubbed non-essential. Um, we actually have been forced to close. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that I think are going to make this difficult, not just for taxpayers, um, but for tax professionals and for the service. I, I think that covers like what's happening with taxes and the IRS. But um, I've talked to a lot of accounts and bookkeepers and sm- they're very scared. A lot of small businesses are in pain. Like, like they're afraid they're going to lose half their clients. Right. Right. Because so many businesses are shut down. So is there any um, that you've seen on the radar in these bills that you as you're reviewing them, that's going to help small businesses specifically? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a lot of concern in the House bill, the one that got passed last week about whether or not that relief was targeted enough to help small businesses. So the um, the Senate bill, which um, the, the House bill last week that, w- that was passed last week, has been signed into law that was signed this week. Um, there's a new bill that's been introduced in the Senate by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I referenced it earlier. It has some tax relief, but it also has some small business relief and um, and also some student loan relief. And again, right now, these are proposals. They It's in the bill. The bill is actually over 200 pages long. It's huge. Um, I slogged through it last night, and I do have a piece up about it. Um, it. It offers a lot of relief for a lot of different segments of the economy, and small businesses are, are in there. Um, one of the things that it would do is, um, you know, th- there are small business loans that are available, but those uh, the criteria for those can be can be kind of difficult. So what the bill does is it expands the eligibility for um, small businesses, meaning those that are under 500 employees. Um, to receive loans under the Small Business Act. And um, these loans are specifically targeted for folks who are affected by the virus, and they can be used for payroll. Um, They can also be used for those paid sick leaves that folks were um, anxious about having to pay. Um, Continuation of health care, salaries can also be used for mortgage payments, rents, utilities, and debts. 
Um, and the, the key um, bits on these are that the loans that are used to cover payroll may also be eligible for forgiveness under the bill if they keep employees. So they're trying to create incentives to hold on to employees and not let them go. Um, and also folks that are uh, that run bars and restaurants, if they're using the money to pay employees that normally would be tipped um, they also may be eligible for loan forgiveness. So that's one piece in that bill that I think a lot of senators are kind of on on board with. And there's some other bits that aren't quite as um, popular. Um, well, one of- I, I just want to ask you one question about that sure. that, that part sure. you just mentioned. So uh, you said small businesses. Are there, mm-hmm. Is it like all small businesses? Are the, is it limited to certain types or certain size? Uh, how much money can they get? So it's under the way it's written right now is under 500 employees and the loans are up to $10 million. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that every small business can get a loan of up to $10 million because the, the loan criteria still uh, exists, but the, it's expanded it so that more businesses would be eligible and they would be eligible to do things that you might normally not be able to get loans to do. Like if you go to your bank normally and say, I need a small business loan so I can pay my folks. Um, you know, pay my, my employees, they might be a little skeptical. Um, and this has made that very clear that it can be used for payroll support. Um, and again, I think the more interesting piece for a lot of small businesses is the idea that if they hold on to employees, they might be eligible for loan forgiveness. Um, if that makes it through that, I think that's a, a game changer for a lot of folks who are paying employees right now to not do anything um, and or to work limited hours and they don't want to let those people go. But, you know, you if, as a small bit and I'm a small business owner, um, you know, you can't you can't promise people that you'll keep paying them if the money isn't coming in. Yeah. And that's the thing that could kill this economy is when you have 20 percent or more of the workforce suddenly out of work. Right. And, you know, people can't pay their bills, they can't pay their rent, they can't pay their mortgages. That's where you get a situation that spirals out of control. So hopefully this will make it into the bill. On a related note, they also have, um, there's a proposal that would allow folks to take either um, distributions or loans from retirement plans um, and not be penalized. And that would be up to the number that's in the bill right now is $100,000. Um, and th- basically, the idea is that if you are forced to stay home or if you have expenses that are related to the coronavirus because you're taking care of someone or you have healthcare expenses, um, that you would be able to tap those retirement accounts and not be penalized because, as you know, take them now, um, you can be penalized. And then also, it's not clear that all um, retirement plans that allow for loans would extend in these circumstances. And and the bill says, yes, it would be appropriate. But that would definitely be a last resort sort of thing to do from a financial planning perspective, because the markets are way down and you don't want to, you know, I mean, you want to, all the advice I've seen seen is to stay in uh, until the markets come back with your retirement accounts, right, David? What a nice gift from the senators who, you know, were briefed on all this February 24th and some sold stock. (laughs) Now they're telling us we can cash out some of our portfolios now that the market's down 40, 50%. Wow, what a gift from our senators. 
I agree with you that it's a last resort, but I also think realistically that, you know, most Americans don't have easily, um, a, you know, they, they can't just run out and, and grab $10,000 out of a savings account. I mean, a lot of your everyday Americans um, savings, quite frankly, is in retirement accounts. And I think that that's sort of what that's a nod to. I mean, I, I agree that it's unfortunate that the markets are down and, and it's not an ideal time to have to do that. But if the, if the choice is that, or, you know, what, what, how do I, how do I pay for groceries this month? I think that, you know, that it's, it's an option. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Bill.com. Small businesses want client accounting services. In the 2019 Bill.com Hire slash Fire Index Survey of Small Businesses, more than half prefer to hire accounting firms that offer a wide range of accounting, tax, and financial services. Another 40% said they would hire a firm based on its ability to offer proactive advice about their businesses. And 48% said they would stop referring their accounting firm if it could not offer strategic advice. An easy way to offer profitable client accounting services in your firm is to start with accounts payable. Using Bill.com, accounting firms can take a client's time-consuming, clunky, and manual AP process and transform it completely with automation, tracking, mobility, and transparency, setting the stage for more conversations about what else your accounting firm can do to help the client. To learn more about how Bill.com can help your firm offer client advisory services, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bill. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-I-L-L. Bill.com, the intelligent business payments platform. And, and I just want to touch on that story, David, that you mentioned, because I think everybody in America should know what happened here. And they're, they're, it, it's just shocking. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr of North Carolina sold off as much as $1.7 million in stock just before the market dropped in February. And this is a guy who is privileged to have access to national intelligence that included information on the coronavirus. And there's a recording of him warning a group of his constituents about this while simultaneously telling the public that everything was going to be fine. It's, it, this is the, one of the most shocking things that I have seen uh, come out of this. And two other senators. I think the number's up to four now, actually. I think um, I saw an article this morning that they're saying that at least four senators yeah, there was uh, the new senator from Georgia, was it? I, I forget her name. And also Dianne Feinstein. So this is not just a Republican thing. This is, right. you know, like this crosses the aisle. I bet we'll find that t- a number right. of highly placed people in Congress uh, did insider trading. Yeah. And, and this bird guy is even worse because when they had the bill um, the decade ago after the 2008 situation, they passed that bill about Congress and insider trading. He's one of the three senators that voted against it. Like, so this guy's probably been doing this constantly anytime he gets news. It's, 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 it, this is what, when people overthrow governments, it's, it's crazy. Like, I, what are they thinking? They're so greedy and, and the, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Um, and I don't want to get started. Like I was cussing last night. I was like, <laughs> I told Blake, I was like, I'm going to cuss on the podcast. Like it is unacceptable at, at so many levels. In the meantime, right. You know, you're hearing about, I'm glad this bill has stuff for restaurants. And, and I went to two webinars this week that are really focused on restaurants who are struggling with cash flow. Right. Obviously, and um, I'll put the show links in. But there's two webinars put on by accountants and bookkeepers that just specialize in restaurants and really just helping them get through the next week, two weeks. Right? How do you do it? You know. And so when these loan these loans need to get here, 
Well, in, in states like mine, um, our governor, Governor Wolf um, in Pennsylvania, has actually ordered all restaurants to close even for takeout after eight o'clock at night. Now, I'm not sure why that that provisions in place, but I do know that um, all dine-in restaurants are closed now in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and so, cause we've actually been, we were, my husband teases me cause I, um, I over tip at the best of times, but um, we ordered pizza last week when the, when the quarantine, because of the kids, um, because of the, when the quarantine first um, hit and I over tipped the pizza guy and um, he was shocked. And I want to say when I over tipped, I didn't over tip him like by, EGADs. I mean, it was a it was a few extra dollars over what I would normally give, and I was just giving it to him. And he asked me if I wanted change, and I said no. And he literally stood there looking stunned. And the, my takeaway from that is that nobody else was doing that. That was the thing that was bothering me. And he said, uh, he said, well, thanks very much for this. I said, but you came out here and gave me food. Like, of course, I'm going to give you you know, a nice tip for that. Um, and I do think people need to remember that as they're doing their takeout and their, um, their, their delivery that while there are bills in Congress that are intended to help uh, the restaurants, we can do our part too. I mean, I know that folks don't necessarily have lots of cash floating around, but if somebody's bringing you food, they're, they're working, they're hustling to get, you know, it's a convenience for you. I say, you know, make sure that you acknowledge that they're out hustling. It'd be interesting data if Square was to put that out because Square obviously knows how many people are tipping or all these electronic point of sales do, right? If mm-hmm. they, if, if tipping's down, because that, that, that's even worse. Well, I tipped in cash. I almost always tip in cash for my, for my delivery folks. So I'm well, so not I'm, on your <laughs> well, well, so clearly this is a disaster for restaurant, for hospitality, for entertainment. You know, my brother-in-law is a, a jazz musician, and all of his work evaporated in one week, mm-hmm. and now he's at home wondering how am I going to pay the rent. Um, and it also doesn't help that he's an extroverted person, so now he's stuck at home and doesn't. You know, this is the he's called me more in one week than I think I've talked to him in a year. Uh, uh, you know, and so it's tough. Uh, it's tough for people. Um, but accounting is not necessarily going to escape. I mean, we're the sort of industry that tends to do pretty well in a downturn because people need the numbers. They need they need plans. They need to know how they're doing, where they can cut. Right. I spotted an article in in CPA Trendlines a report looking at what happened in previous downturns to the accounting profession and trying to figure out what might happen now. And so, if if past recessions are any guide then they are estimating that the profession could lose up to 100,000 jobs, which would be about 10% of the current accounting workforce encompassing all accounting. That would be for about 10 years. It might, or sorry, it would be 10% and could take up to seven years to recover all of those jobs. Wow. Uh, It's like, this is, this is really serious. I mean, Stephen Mnuchin, you know, he came out and he said, we could, we could have unemployment at 20%. And then I went and looked at what unemployment was during the Great Recession, and it was 10% was the highest. You know, I, I don't mean to be an alarmist, but I think we need to be realistic. And this could be worse. This could be Great Depression level unemployment if we don't address this issue of people not having paychecks and still needing to pay the rent. Right. And I think that's why some of these provisions are important. And and it's interesting because I know when um, the payment deadlines got pushed, but the filing deadlines didn't, which again, 
I understand that the um, filing deadlines needed to be pushed. But when they weren't, someone had asked me, you know, how does this help the profession? And I said, it's not intended to help the profession. Like, th- that wasn't ever what the, uh, the pushing this off was about. It's about giving people more money to hold on to. Um, and so delaying the payments mean that uh, taxpayers hold on to their money a little longer. And um, in that Senate bill, they actually would extend estimated payments all the way through October um, so that you wouldn't have to pay estimated payments as a self-employed person um, or otherwise someone subject to estimated payments through October. And then also corporations, it would be the same. Um, corporations would uh, have their uh, tax payments delayed through October. So I think that one of the things that Congress is trying to do um, is to to delay these payments as long as possible. Um, you know, what that would mean for the economy long term, I, I don't know that we know. Mm. Um, what that's going to mean, but you know, extending payroll taxes, for example, um, that would that's also in the bill. Um, you know, extending the the payment deadlines for those, um, just allowing folks to hold on to money a little longer. Yeah, yeah. The big question is, how long does this shutdown go? Does it extend from California and New York and Washington into other states? I mean, if it goes until the fall, which might be necessary, then it's going to take more than just delay of payments because you know those payments are going to be due uh, at some point and we can kick the can down the road only so long right right absolutely yeah. well uh I, where should we go next david cuz oh, i got sure. some stuff about the cpa exam um work working from home in public accounting firms uh, yeah we could probably get into working from home a little bit and then just yeah. so before we do that let me just just say um in case anyone didn't know Prometric, the testing centers where people go to take the CPA exam, those are closed for 30 days, uh, so until April 16th. And I think it's un, you know un, unlikely they'll be opening in April. I th- probably not necessarily going to happen. And so people who were going to take the CPA exam, now that's delayed. And NASBA uh, has advised the state boards of accountancy they should allow folks who aren't able to take it in this window to delay that. Our, our, our accountant subject, our CE um, compliance, is that on a rotating basis or is it annual? Because conti- I know that for attorneys that we've actually extended, um, that the bar has extended the deadline because those are quarterly depending on who you are. Um, so everybody is kind of everybody's divided into groups. And so people whose um, continuing education requirements are due in April have been extended. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, the requirement in California is 80 hours every two years, and it's based on your renewal date for your license. So probably that won't be adjusted for some time. I don't know, maybe people who are coming do. Um, uh, but luckily, there's actually a lot of online options. I don't know about you know in the legal world, but there's a there's a ton of online options now for continuing education. Which are more important than ever, right? Because conferences yeah. are being cl- canceled everywhere. Right. Oh, yeah, AICPA Engage has been canceled. Um, that was, you know, the big AICPA conference. That has been, well, it's been delayed and there is no date as of yet when it will be rescheduled. And a, a bunch of others, of course. Is, is, and David, you're tracking that at accountingconferences.com. Correct. Which is a website that you set up to help people know what's been canceled. I think we can safely assume that anything in April and May is canceled at this point, right? There's a couple of ones that either they probably are, they just haven't communicated in a way where, you know, it's easily to easy to figure out, but that's the whole point of the site is you just go to one spot and they're all listed if it's been canceled. 
Now, going to the remote work and the working from home, uh, I think it was last weekend we were talking about how a lot of accounting firms and the big ones in particular were still having people come into the office. And that has, of course, all changed in the course of you know a few days. Uh, going Concern has a list of public accounting firms that are in mandatory work from home mode, and you can find that link in the show notes. Uh, you know, it's a long list. I can't even read them all. You know, all the big ones, Deloitte, PwC, Ernst Young, KPMG, RSM, Grant Thornton. I think Grant Thornton was the first to uh, send everyone home. And I, I mean, this is really important because you can't, a lot of them were sending out emails saying, uh, work from home if you can, if your, you know, client work allows it. But, you know, that doesn't really work in public accounting because everybody's, you know, going to take that to mean, well, if I can come into the office, I should, right? If I'm not sick, I should. And so, um, now that everyone's mandatory work from home, hopefully the cases of COVID that have been spreading in some of these offices, uh, you know, Ernst and Young had a case, a uh, few cases, and 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 so did some of the other big four. Hopefully, this will will do our part in the accounting world to limit the spread. I think that working at home is getting a, like we've talked about this, right? Like you're going through it, I'm going through it. You're working at home with your kids, right? And I've started yeah. to really worry about the mental health of accounts and bookkeepers in this. Because, yes, accountants and bookkeepers are in the same spot. They have to go home. They have to work from home. They have a spouse there that's maybe working, not working right now. There's a lot of stress. The kids are there. There's a lot of stress. But I think what's different for accountants and bookkeepers is they're taking on the stress of 80 of their clients who are all freaking out and coming to them. Like the burden, the mental weight that I feel like is on accountants and bookkeepers that I've spoken to, I, I to be honest, I started crying yesterday. It's it's really concerns me about the mental health of our accounts and bookkeepers that are out there, and that's why I'm glad the tax deadline got moved yeah. because it's just it's it's a weight that's off their shoulders a little bit, right? They get some elbow room to take mm-hmm. a breath, but they they're, they're weighing on that. We have the same issue in in um, the the law because I have clients who uh, on the on the compliance and the controversy side because I have clients right now um, I got a call keep in mind we've been talking about working from home I got a call yesterday about an offering compromise that I um, had submitted and um, it's it's crazy to me that someone is calling me to talk about an offering compromise um, I feel like all of those kinds of issues should be pushed off right now the, the, the IRS should not be collecting um, the IRS should not be pursuing taxpayers who you know are not getting paid right now um, and so it's a similar thing like in, in this particular case I have um, one of those taxpayers uh, had a heart issue um, and was in the hospital for all of December. Um, he's out now. But when I was talking to his wife last month, when we kind of saw this coming down the pike, she was joking and we were only sort of joking that, you know, that this is the kind of thing that could send him back to the hospital um, because it's an enormous amount of stress to put on taxpayers. And exactly what you're saying about bookkeepers and accountants, we have the same issue in, in the law that, you know, we're those, those folks, we're shifting those burdens to us. You know, we're the ones staying up at night, kind of staring at the ceiling, wondering how we can maneuver an additional extension um, so that somebody doesn't lose their house. And that it is a lot of stress to carry around. And I'm curious to know how people are, David, you posted something on Twitter about, you know, the emails to clients or emails from companies about coronavirus. And some of them are coming off good and some of them not so good, right? I mean, there's the volume of them. I mean, I'm getting emails from a place I bought car tires from eight years ago, a tire repair place, right? How they're handling, but every time I open my email, there's 40 more, right? And it's just like, it's just noise. 
Yeah. And it doesn't, it just adds to the stress if they're not helpful, right? If they're just repeating something we already know and saying, oh, we're wiping down surfaces to, <laughs> to you know, protect you. And I'm like, okay, great. Like everybody is doing that. And so, you know, I was curious, um, you know, what's the best practice for accountants communicating with their clients about this? Um, because I did a, a webinar earlier in the week with uh, Will Lopez over at Gusto. Uh, and we asked the the folks on the webinar, how many of you have you know, done a mass email to your client base? Right? How many of you have communicated? And actually, a good chunk had not yet done it. So there's, there's, there's a challenge here because everybody's getting communications about COVID-19 for, like you said, from the random tire place they, where they bought something eight years ago. So we don't want to add, just add to that noise. We want to be, uh, as you know, practitioners, we want to be sensitive, but we also don't want to be out of communication with our clients. So what is the best way to reach out to them? And I thought that um, Karen Rayburn uh, of The Profitable Firm, she wrote a really good post about, how, it's called how to and not to write an email about COVID-19 to your clients. Oh, good. Good find. Yeah. And and the first thing she says is the smartest thing, which is if you can, call them individually. Like leave a message, send them a text message, be personal with this because it's very sensitive and ask them how they're doing. You should also send a you know firm-based communication. And then she has guidelines for how to do that. For instance, start positive, right? Don't start by telling them there's a global pandemic and a stock market crash. And we all know this, right? This is not, (laughs) and I keep getting those emails saying like, it's just, it's just nonsense. Right. Um, And then make it clear, keep it short and make it clear why you are writing that email and have a call to action, right? Don't just, don't write this email for no reason. Uh, So if the call to action is schedule a meeting with me to talk about what we can do during this time, have a link for them to book the meeting. And then perhaps link to something longer. If you've got a lot to say about this, link to a blog post on your website. Don't don't write an essay. And um, I, I thought that was really nice. Like it's good advice uh, for how we can, you know, stay in touch with our clients and be sensitive at the same time. And, and it makes sense and to I, have I it. Add, oh, good. I was just going to say, I would add two quick things. One is, and it may sound self-serving coming from a lawyer, um, but uh, my husband also is a lawyer and he does employment um, and corporate law. And one of the things that they've been working with clients on who are small business owners um, is crafting those kinds of emails, because sometimes depending on the industry, there may also be mandated requirements, like things that you have to disclose. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it may, I mean, obviously if it's just working from home, that might not be something, but like we were talking about things like service of process, like things that you might not think about normally. So one good piece of advice is, I mean, you know, I always say that there's, you should always have a team anyway. You should always have a good accountant. You should always have um, a good lawyer. You should have a good health um, insurance advisor. Like there, there are people that you should have on your team at all times. Um, but now is a good idea for, I think, for small business owners to shoot their lawyers a note and say, is there anything I need to be telling my clients? Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't all have to be doomsday, but it may be that if you're not going to be at your office, you have an obligation to let them know. If records are off site, you have an obligation to let them know. Again, really industry specific. So that would be one thing that I would consider doing. Just a real quick email to your attorney. And then the other thing I would consider is we, I started doing this last week is rather than send out a mass email, which we have not done from the firm. Um, we actually started putting a tag on the bottom of our signatures. It's in red. Um, our logo is red too, so it doesn't look weird. But um, it just reminds, well, not reminds people, but advises people that we're working from home remotely. 
um, and that we appreciate their patience. And we've given them alternative contact information and told them that the best way to reach us is by email. Um, So I think that there are ways that you can communicate with your clients without it being so over the top. So every time someone gets an email from me at the bottom from the firm, it just says it's a, I think it's two sentences. Again, just please note that um, Mm -hmm. we are currently working remotely. The best way to reach us is via email. Here's also a really good fax number type thing. So I think that there are kind of soft ways that you can advise clients without punching them in the face. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I would love to keep discussing this with you, Kelly. This has been super helpful for me personally, and I know our listeners are going to find all of your uh, reporting and insights really valuable. If folks want to follow you online, read what you're writing and and stay up to date, where's the best place for them to do that? So I'm on Twitter. It's just Tax Girl. That's pretty easy um, as well. Um, and then otherwise, I'm at Forbes.com slash sites slash Kelly Phillips Herb, which is kind of hard to find sometimes. So the easiest thing to do is to go to taxgirl.com. And I usually have links to um, newsletters and articles from there. Taxgirl.com. That's great. And uh, I'm at blakeoliver.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake T. Oliver. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary. And if you have a story for us, if you want to tell us about you know what is going on in your life right now, just leave us a message. We have a, a voicemail box set up. It's at 202-695-1040. Then uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a listen and maybe we'll even play it on the air. We really want to hear from our listeners. How are they coping? Uh, what are they doing to stay sane? Um, do you have any best practices, tips, or just thoughts about what we've been talking about here on the show? I think that's a wrap. All right. Thank you again, Kelly, so much for being joining us. And we hope to have you um, back if there's any other uh, significant developments. I'm sure there will be. Sure. And you've been warned that I'm wordy. I apologize in advance. No, this is well, great. not in advance. I apologize <laughs> late now, but in advance of any future. No, this is fantastic. It is. It's so helpful. I mean, we, you know, Dave and I try to stay up on top of this stuff, but it's been overwhelming. Um, oh, yeah. Know, no, and we have, we have day jobs too. So, Oh, um, yeah. Me too. <laughs> we're keeping everyone informed. So um, thanks, Kelly. Thanks, David. Thank and I'll, uh, I'll see you here again next week. Bye. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Time for the classifieds. High Rock Accounting is searching for rock stars. We are a growing accounting firm looking to increase our team. Our ideal candidate will be self-motivated, eager to learn, and grow with the firm. We help businesses succeed by utilizing cutting-edge technology to provide accounting solutions that increase business efficiency and competitiveness. Our goal is simple, enhance accounting operations, improve accuracy, and reduce costs. As a High Rock star, you'll be responsible for full-cycle accounting in a cloud environment. Email careers at highrock.co. That's careers at highrock.co. Accountants and bookkeepers, are you itching to make a career pivot and escape the 9-to-5 grind in the busy season stress and start to build your own career path where you work virtually on your own terms? Then you need to get your copy of the newly released Bookkeeping Side Hustle Guidebook and learn actionable steps to become a virtual bookkeeper without the overwhelm. Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners can get the ebook for 30% off with the code CAP30OFF. Get your copy at bookkeepingsidehustle.com forward slash bookkeeping dash guidebook. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.